Well, I speak the most Italian, so I'll be your escort. Donawood speaks the second most, so he'll be your Italian cameraman. Omar speaks third most, so he'll be Donnie's assistant. I don't speak Italian. Like I said, third best. Welcome to episode 56 of the Movie Mixtape. You join us at the most auspicious of occasions as we're about to watch the premiere of A Nation's Pride. And sitting to my left, they've strangely injured their leg on a mountain climbing accident. Despite there being no mountains anywhere near Paris, it is Mikey P. Mikey P! How are you doing? Sorry, my vet isn't very good at casting my leg. And that, I don't know. <laughs> Beautiful. You got in that role, though. You envisaged it in your head. Just yeah. like. Mm-hmm. Just like Von Hammersmark. <laughs> straight, straight out of the movie. But also joining us. To my right, they're an agent of the Gestapo with my a playing card on their head that simply reads King Kong. It is Marcy oh, Dale. Yeah. Marcy Dale. So insulted. So insulted. Can I just say something? <laughs> Hello, Dirk. But you said Hi. welcome. Oh, and yeah, I that's my name. I know. I'm but, Dirk. Oh, God. All right. Anyways, you said welcome, and I just watched Bake Off right before we started. So I thought you were going to say welcome to the Great British Bake Off. Do you know, we haven't talked about Bake Off since it started again. Mm-hmm. We were the podcast of Bake Off, weren't we, last year? Do you remember? What, what happened? What did we do? I don't know. Mikey came in, and um, we needed we needed a little longer in the proving draw with Mikey. We couldn't br- <laughs> we couldn't bring him into the Bake Off fold yet because we're not sure, we're not sure. But mm-hmm. I know deep down, he's not got a soggy bottom. Mm-hmm. My God, <laughs> it's an interesting correlation between when I started the show and the downturn in production value. <laughs> from <laughs> that's because I also started editing the podcast, Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. What's going on? I actually, uh, I saw the first episode and I, I haven't had the time to watch it. So how is this season compared to the past seasons? I Hold on ha- a second. Yeah. Spoiler warnings coming up mm. for Bake Off. If people, and mind you, by the time this episode comes out, the show will be finished. Probably. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Go on, Marcy. Um, I have a crush I, on one of the bakers this year. His you name have a crush is on Matt- one of the bakers? His name is Maddie. He's very cute. He's very much my type. Um, I saw him immediately. Was like, I'm done. I'm done. This is it. Is that the hipster guy? Uh, no, no, he's not a hipster. I don't know what to describe him as, but he's very cute and he's a like uh, a boy. Yeah, he's a like a boy. He's just very much everything I like about guys. And I was like, oh <laughs> damn it, here we go. But it's been a while Big since hands. I've had a crush on mm-hmm. somebody on Bake Off, but I really have a crush on this guy. So, um, Big hands do help <laughs> when you're nice. kneading dough <laughs> <laughs> um but that's really i'm i'm i think the season's pretty decent i really like uh i can't think of her name and dirk will tell me here in a second but there's a new allison hammond 
Yes, she is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anything about her until Dirk told me a little bit about her. I think it was last year you first showed me some of her interviews. And she is hilarious. And I really like her and, and Noel together um, a lot. Uh, Prue still saying very inappropriate things, which just makes everybody cringe. And uh, But no, it's a, <laughs> it's been a good crew. I... I don't know. I usually like there's somebody like I like I mean I I know I have a crush on the one guy but um there's usually like one baker I like automatically like love and I'm like yes this is my baker but I still haven't found that person mm. yet this season. I don't know Dirk how do you feel so far about Bake Off? Well, I think what's great this year by bringing Allison in is we've actually got one of the presenters who is happy to eat the things oh, that yeah. are, are being made because <laughs> Noel famously stays away from carbohydrates and mm. Matt Lucas from the last few years oh, has the God. diet of a three-year-old child. <laughs> so at least now we've got somebody who's happy to scoff anything and put it <laughs> in a gob. She's a joy. She's a revelation. <laughs> I'm very pleased that she's there. Uh, Noel wore a yeah, yeah, yeah's jumper on the very first mm-hmm. episode. So he got points for that yeah i guess i'm with you a bit mass like um, yeah not falling in love with one of the bakers yet i think probably tash is probably the best yeah. um but like i'm not head over heels dan rubs me up the wrong way somehow mm-hmm. i just yeah. don't quite it feels like it's an affectation of a personality sorry dan <laughs> if you're listening rather than a real personality um, I'm trying to think of who else I would like on there who's left. A lot of older people this year, it seems like. Mm. Chrissy's all Which right. Which I like. The moment. Which I like, because like, Logan loves like, my oh, kids. Oh, you know who I Logan. liked? But spoiler, she's not on anymore. I did, just because she was so funny. Uh, was it Nikki? She was the older lady, and I I think I messaged you when the I started Scottish it. Scottish lady. Yeah, and she, the one episode, she was like, oh, my days. And I messaged you. I was like, she's saying, oh, my days. And I was so happy. <laughs> yeah. But she's not on anymore. But she was fun. I always like the spicy old ladies that they bring on. Um, she was cute. I really yeah. liked her a lot. But not that I, I still was like, I, I didn't think she'd make it that far. So it wasn't like I was super attached or anything. But yeah, kind of disappointed there isn't that obligatory one contestant who doesn't understand Noel's humor. You know, yeah. like there's always one where Noel will just be cracking off to them the whole time, and they're, and they're just taking him like a literal face value. He says something like, oh, "I had a machine gun for my breakfast today," and they're like, "What? You had a machine gun for your breakfast?" I mean, he's like, "No, not really." But there isn't one this year. They all, they yeah. all seem to understand he's just joking all the time. Yeah. Disappointing. Or maybe, maybe they were giving like cues, like if Noel talks to you, just smile and nod, smile and <laughs> nod, and that's all they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, well, I do like how you guys uh-huh. said because um, Logan loved my kids loved the Lego Master Show, but mm. the problem I think I have is it feels like they go for personality first, and it's not necessarily the best. Like the best people always show up on TV, and they always have the group. They have like the old lady moms that are team and they have like the nerd team and then they have like the black team and, and they go for personality. And I think the, what I always liked about British Bake Off was like whoever the best is at the time, like they're going to they're going to take them. There's always slight tearing, though, isn't there? You can tell there's like however many bakers. Is it 12 or 10? And there's very definitely probably six that are going out in the yeah. first six weeks. <laughs> yeah. They, they, mm-hmm. they like get some cannon fodder for those first few weeks <laughs> so that nobody really good accidentally goes you know mm-hmm. in the first month or whatever you or what have you but yeah yeah I, it's it's a nice gentle show to bake off and i think uh, but, yeah i love that about it i love the way it's just it's not really competitive no mm-hmm. people cry a little bit 
but then they still help somebody else get their flipping yeah. cake out a pie out of a tin or something. I think that's the difference between like American reality and British reality shows. Like Mikey, you got me into the Great Pottery Throwdown, and I freaking love that so right. much. And that's the that same thing one. on that. They're just like to me, Bake Off and the Pottery one are very therapeutic and like fun and a good time. I can't watch American competition Mm-mm. shows. It's like either feels very forced and fake. And like you said, Mikey, like they just pick who they think people want to see, not so much people you're like actually going to root for. And then it's just always over the top and like competitive, but not like in a fun way. It's just like, oh, I hate Americans. <laughs> it's just like what it makes me feel like when I watch it. So. Here's my question. Dirk, can you bake? Because I did see they also have for next season open auditions. Oh, yeah, they always have that. No, oh, I can't. Oh, I yeah, was, yeah. Oh, no. There's a difference between. <laughs> yeah, I mean, able... open, but I thought you had to get invited. Like, I don't no, know. <laughs> you could, anyone can apply. But you can, mm. you, you ha- the problem with being able to bake is you've got to be able to do those technical challenges, don't you? When they just say, <laughs> make the roulade or something stupid like that, make a ganache. Oh, I could follow a recipe, but I can't make one off the top of my head. I'm not Jesus or anything like that. You know, could you is do this that, a safe space? No, is this yeah. a safe space? Very. I always fast forward that technical challenge. And I just go right to the judging because I mean that that whole thing. They're all everybody's just like, "What is this? I don't know." And they're all making the same thing. I'm like, boring. Just I want to see the beginning and the end. I can't do it. I just go to the judging technical challenge because there's like the good bakers. They could fail the technical challenge, and doesn't matter. You could win the technical challenge, and it's like sometimes it's like a tiebreaker at the end, but it really doesn't account for anything. Technical challenge are whack. Well, I'm here to say. We were right. Down, to bring, hashtag down with technical challenge. We were right to leave M- Mikey out of this discussion. It seems <laughs> messy. Put it in the IG stories this week, and I guarantee nobody <laughs> watches the technical challenge. You have two people I right here that do. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I, I can go what through if I analyzed it. About? I can make some highlights of people that end up winning that were like the technical challenge, like whatever for them, or people that were good no. at the technical challenge, and it was like whatever. I, don't disagree. I think that yeah. it's like heavily weighted on the showstopper. There you I go. think if you do really well in the showstopper, there ain't no way you're going home, even if you've baffed everything else up. But mm. um, I still watch the technical challenge. Yeah. I said well, I watch the judging. I watch the beginning where they're like, what is this? Oh, my God. But then the whole making of it is like, come on. No, <laughs> I'm disgusted that he doesn't watch the technical challenge. Mikey, get that. Mm-hmm. All right. Get I'll off watch my the show. Tech- <laughs> All right. I, I'm not saying every technical challenge. I think like once you're into like episode six, it's sort of like, okay, you know who's winning. You know who's, I, you know, like, you know what? Who's, I who kind of think point. you get the funniest parts during the technical challenge because they're like, what does that mean? What are these instructions? Like what, <laughs> mm-hmm. like what was one that was just like, make the cake and that's all it said on it or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Make the cake. And um, I just think, I don't know. I like it. It's a big part of each episode. So I think, I don't know each, each competition or each like what it's the, what's the first one? Uh, god why can't i think of the first one but there's the first one the technical and the showstopper but it each are like important in their own way and i think you have to watch all three to know who was going home that week or what kind of week it is and, and like it was botanical week this week which was interesting but well i've not seen botanical yet we're not we oh. normally we watch it all together on a friday mm-hmm. but we've not been together as a family this weekend so we're saving it okay not seeing the botanicals that's the one i just watched i just watched it mm-hmm. so i'll stop Mm-hmm. Stop talking mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we brought the Bake Off back into our chat. I was. Who, who did that? Was 
I was until Mikey said something, so. <laughs> Listen, we embrace all here. Even, <laughs> even bemoaners of the technical challenge, Michael. <laughs> but apart from Bake Off news, we've mm. had a revelation. We have had a revelation this week. Marcy, why don't you tell us about it? So we are <laughs> podcasting with a wizard. His name is Dirk. He can make magic happen. Salutations. <laughs> <laughs> so Dirk picked It Follows, um, and that was the two episodes ago. And uh, that came out in 2014. And, you know, no news about anything for it for the longest time. The episode comes out, and lo and behold, they're making a sequel called They Follow. What? Yeah. How wild is that? What? uh what did you put in the it. potion to make that happen? I want to know. Neon just decided that they would wait till we released our episode to get a lot of traction in the socials. <laughs> Even though we're not on X or whatever <laughs> that's called now, they knew that it would just blow up big time for them. And it has. It really has, hasn't it? We made that happen. Mikey, mm-hmm. you made that happen. I made that happen. We made that happen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I you. always believed in you. Mm-hmm. There's no naysayers here. <laughs> Let me ask you, though, a genuine question. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being bad, 10 being very good, how good an idea is it to do a sequel to It Follows? How are you feeling? I'm just going to say, jumping off of our last episode when we were like, does The Departed need a sequel? No, that is a movie that doesn't need a sequel. It Follows? Yes. Let's get a sequel. Ooh, I'm excited, especially that it's yeah. been so much time. It's almost been 10 years. That's wild to think about. I'm excited. I think it's like a good thing to see hmm. like where she's at because Micah's coming back to spoilers. No, that's not a spoiler for the first film. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the final girl made it. Wow. Oh my god, who would have guessed? <laughs> Do you know something more of? Anyway, sorry if you've not seen that oh film god. now or listen to our episode. I guess yeah, <laughs> or listen to it. <laughs> Yeah. So I am excited just to see like where she's at, what what is happening that something plural is following her. So um well, yeah. Before I before I respond to that, you didn't give me a score out of ten. I said yes. So that's ten. <laughs> ten. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of alien aliens vibes mm. from this title. Mm. It follows to they follow. I wonder if we're getting a bit of a metamorphosis of Jay into a badass Sarah Connor Ripley style. She's out there vigilante sexing, um, <laughs> you know, getting this entity. <laughs> don't know what the point of that would be, don't know. but it's what she's doing apparently in this film. But there's obviously going to be more than one entity. So a bit like aliens, isn't it? Maybe James Cameron's sticking his oar in somewhere. What do you think about that? He's too busy with Avatar 45. Like, because I think the first film, we talked a lot about how much there was in there imagery-wise and, and, and how much you could get from it beyond the horror premise. But if there's more than one, it feels like there's going to be kind of much more about the kind of the shock and awe, maybe. And like a bit like Aliens was a bit more of an action film, whereas the first, whereas Alien was that type of... Mm-hmm. horror movie you know what i was thinking and i hope they tell if, me if they if they go this route i hope it's better than what i think what i thought of so have you have either of you ever seen final destination oui. 
Okay, so you know how like death was supposed That's to French. get them, and then it chases <laughs> it chases them until it gets them. Well, what if like yeah. the entity is like we didn't get her, and so now mm-hmm. they're like teaming up to go get her. That's kind of what I was kind of thinking, like mm-hmm. Final Destination. Maybe, maybe I suppose it's that thing about you can never escape death. Mm-hmm. And it's that, I guess that's final destination as well, isn't it? Yeah. That's final destination in a nutshell. You cannot <laughs> escape death. Even if you have a vision and suddenly decide to get off an aeroplane, you cannot escape death. I just described the plot to final destination. So don't worry. So you're at like a 10 then, you're saying? For the excitement for this movie. I'm an 8. You're an 8? Okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to say 8 too, because I'll tell you, I hope it's being made for... When you were talking about aliens, they went dove more into like the origin of where the aliens come from, and there's a lot like how do you pass this on? What's True. the whole thing? What are, what are these entities and stuff like that? Let's talk about the origin. Mm. But I'm t- trepidatious because maybe they're just making this movie because they know it'll make a dollar for them, and scary movies mm. are the way to make an easy buck. So but that's my, what I don't. My I'm hesitation that. on that is that they waited this long to announce it. So I think what they did was, and the fact that Neon's producing it says a lot too. Neon is a very good studio. They make a lot of good movies. And mm-hmm. I think they waited until they had a story. You know, if they were just cranking it out, rushing it out, it would have been like mm. only two years, maybe at the most. Out. But like I said, it's almost been 10 years since the first one. So mm-hmm. I think I think that's where the that re- excitement comes in for me, you know? Yeah. And thinking about Jay's character development from whatever she was, 19, 20, to then being 30 years old, that's a big, that is a big life difference, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And the stories you could tell with that. Oh, she has and, kids? And, and, oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. And just coming back to what you said, Mikey, about sort of like, expanding the lore of it yeah a bit like john wick when the sequels of john wick when we got more and more into the lore of that world and they've got a real opportunity i think to, to make something that has a legacy so fingers crossed fingers Stop crossed to see a john wick sorry oh fuck. you've not seen any you've not seen john yeah. wick <laughs> well i know what the we're doing for happening? our next mix <laughs> <laughs> the hell is happening doesn't watch the technical challenge never seen john wick kill someone with a pencil Mikey, this is why other countries hate America. <laughs> okay. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, do you know, but do you know what? We haven't even said, jeez, oh, we didn't even say what film we were doing. I didn't even tell people it was the undercover mix. So everybody, just ignore what we've just talked about. Hmm. We're doing the undercover mix. This is our last episode in the undercover mix. Time has flown by. We've all enjoyed seducing Nazis, avoiding entities. I'm being from Boston. <laughs> but now we're on our final episode. And Marcy got the joy of being randomly splitted out oh of our cocktail shaker last episode. And she got to pick Marcy Dale. What have you gone for for this final undercover mix movie? So instead of seducing Nazis, uh, we are now scalping Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> so, mm, I have gone much. with 2009's Inglorious Bastards. Yes, yeah, she did. <laughs> yes, yeah, she did. Directed by Quentin of the Tarantinos, <laughs> starring Bradley Pitt <laughs> and Mike Myers. Um, <laughs> I went blank. I couldn't think of anyone else. Um, 
Marcy, will you grace us with a synopsis of this movie? Of course, of course. Yes. Okay. So my synopsis, it begins. <laughs> the year is 3023. Little, what? Little Jimmy Smith is getting ready to read his history presentation on the brave heroes of World War II. His presentation begins. In the year 1941, two separate plans are starting that will eventually intertwine and lead to the end of the Second World War. The villains of the story are Tiny Mustache Man with a lot of power and Intimidating <laughs> German with an even more intimidating smoking pipe. The heroes of this story include Brad Pitt, Younger Magneto, and Ryan from The Office. <laughs> <laughs> there's also that... Yeah, another office pretty reference. <laughs> Um, there's also, uh, I don't have time for your Nazi bullshit French lady who is secretly hiding from the man with the smoking pipe in a gorgeous cinema mm -hmm. in Paris. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the French lady is smarter than every man in this story and cons a bunch of idiot Germans into holding a Correct. big premiere at her cinema where she intends to burn them alive and get some revenge. Meanwhile, young Magneto blows his cover and forces Brad Pitt and Ryan from The Office to put on some incredible Italian accents to make it to said movie premiere. <laughs> Intimidating smoking pipe man is smart. Not as smart as the French lady, but a hell of a lot smarter than Brad Pitt and decides to work a deal with him to end the war and get himself some nice property on Nantucket Island. With an unexpected third party involved, the plan is carried out and kills just about everybody except for like three people and ends the war through the power of cinema. The end. Jimmy, mm. Jimmy's class erupts into applause. His teacher is crying. He gets an A-plus for a perfect presentation on World War II. <laughs> Fantastic. Well done, Jimmy. Can I tell you where the idea for this came from? I always like Was have your this... brain? Yeah, from my brain. My brain. Um, my big, beautiful brain. But anyways, uh, I just think it's scary and hilarious that I think down the road, like, people are going to think this is how World War II ended. <laughs> That's like one of well, my great fears in life. Like that I, I think society is so stupid. <laughs> Watch this movie and they're like, this is how it was done. So, this is how America won the war. Yeah, so but you know, I'll give us a grace period. It won't be for a while, so it's not us. It's Their first Google search <laughs> is like this is Rapid how World War II. Is a World war II yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think a lot of people do Google what bits of this film are real, mm -hmm. don't they? <laughs> yeah. And I think, that is, I think that's his gimmick, Quentin Tarantino, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Likes to do these movies which could be real. Conspiracy theories, uh, I'm, I, li I like, I don't like believing conspiracy theories, but it's sort of like they say, there's that quote, uh, history is written by those who, what is it? History is written by those who win wars and stuff. By the so victors. Who knows what could happen. <laughs> But Are we saying this happened? I think I think that's what we're here to say. We're here to prove that this actually is how what 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 went down. So we've got a World War Two story. We've got a story that cites the end of World War Two thanks to the actions of the Inglorious Bastards and a very beautiful French lady who owns a very beautiful cinema in France. I want to talk about um, doing a movie in another language. I think is it was just interesting because one of the there's not a lot of maybe half the movie is in english and the rest of it is not just in one language but it's multiple european languages and for i guess it's not difficult but like for a director this is really like a movie that's based on performances 
and dialogue and for Quentin Tarantino to be able to direct it in a way that even when it's going on in the scene, I don't believe he knows French. I don't believe he knows German, but he's able to get these performances out of somebody that's not even speaking the same language as him. And he's all about language. So I thought, I don't know, just that type of, I know there's translators. I know it's not hard, but like, that's also, I think a feat in itself. Well, it's hard to be the actor who speaks four different languages, like Christoph Waltz, right? Who That's speaks true. English, German, French, and Italian in this. Yeah, and he learned Diane Italian Kruger. for this movie. And Diane Kruger is what? from Germany and knows German and English. And Michael Fassbender, mm-hmm. which he didn't even know. Apparently, I was reading yeah, something. He, he didn't thought even know she, she was American, she but she's she yeah. was born and raised in Germany. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I think only actually 30% of this movie is in English, if I look that up correctly. So it's mostly French and German, and then a little bit of Italian. Italian, I'm sorry. And uh, (laughs) it's like one of the very few American-made movies that's mostly in another language. So I think that's really cool uh, that actually a bunch of people went to go see this movie, and it's hardly in english you know that's not something a Mm. lot of people in this country do but this movie made a ton of money and then it got a bunch of oscar nominations so i think it's really cool that tarantino um is able to make people go see a movie like this Uh, i will say one really fun thing and just from personal experience they all can speak english and that's not like untrue anytime i've gone to europe like i was at a dinner one time in rome and our waiter was obviously Italian, and we were sitting next to a German couple, but the German couple couldn't speak Italian, and the Italian waiter couldn't speak German, so they spoke English to each other. And then Dan and I were just like, and we just speak English. Wow, look at us. Like, you know, so it's just like English still is like the main language. And I, I, think, I think it's, um, you know, like, it's pretty cool that they can all do that. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> No, I was going to say, I think it's still a slight narrative conceit because this was in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. And I don't think necessarily uh, Monsieur Papadou, Papadou, the mm. dairy farmer at the beginning, would be so fluent right. in English. But I like it. I mean, I'm not picking yeah. holes in that. I love the use of language in this. It's one of my mm-hmm. favorite things. Definitely now English is universal. But what I love is like even like Frederick Zoller speaking French to yeah. Shoshana. Do you know, and just, yeah. just, Do you know Daniel Brohl? He like knew French, but not that well. So when he when he auditioned, he was mixing French and Spanish. And he's like, Tarantino won't ever know. And Tarantino didn't know and thought he was just speaking French. And then when he got the script, he was able to figure out the French and do it completely in oh, French. Oh, really? So, it's such a wondrous film to listen to, I, to just, just I know. switch your I, brain off. I really love the choice to keep them in their natural languages because how many movies that are period pieces, they just do the British accent thing. And I don't mind that. Obviously, I, I love those types of movies too, but I just love how authentic this movie feels, you know? But it's a plot mm-hmm. device as well, mm-hmm. right? So it's a plot device. It becomes vital, doesn't it? Like you were saying, Marcy, the Italian accents at the end. <laughs> and there are a couple of the American crew who are actually German or Austrian by nature and speak German. And, and so they're vital to the plot too. So it's it's really important. It's it's not just showmanship. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not just cinema flair and all that sort of stuff. It's part of the narrative too. So it's super, super yeah. smart. Yeah. And this is where like Tarantino shines is the power of language because – all these scenes, all the tension is really just because of the language that what's being said. And Lambda, Landa is one of the most evil per- people you could see on film. 
And it's not even like we see him really do anything. The tension isn't really just because there's violence going on the whole movie. It's really just because of what's being said. And Landa is, has charisma and it's almost like you like him, but he is at the very end of conversations, just turns the knife and makes it seem like the most evil person in the world and things he does. Oh, and language also too. Like he even says it with that opening scene where they're speaking in English and then he just suddenly goes, I, you know, he knows there's people underneath the boards and he goes, I'm, I take it they don't know English. They don't know what I'm saying. What I really liked about that was the first time I'm watching it, I'm thinking, oh, they're just flipping into English for the benefit of of us, you know, really, the listeners, right. the, the right. viewing audience. That's why they've decided, that's why this French farmer can speak English. Hmm. And that's why this um, SS Jew hunter has suddenly decided to switch into English. But then I loved that actually, no, it was... It's so much more clever than that, wasn't it? So we have Lander, who's the Jew hunter for the SS. And the whole first act, the first chapter, is just a conversation, like you were saying, Mikey, just an incredible conversation. In fact, this film is just full of great conversations. That's literally what this film is, just really good conversations with long pauses um, and stares and tension. And the whole first one is about trying to find the Jewish family hiding underneath the floorboards in the dairy farm, which eventually leads to Shoshana, the eldest daughter, escaping, who we meet later on, who's the owner of this French cinema. But that's just just the way that they the way that they use language as plot devices was so smart to me mm-hmm. and made mm-hmm. everything so much more enjoyable. And I didn't feel like I was being patronized mm. at any point in the film, which I think is quite a, a big thing really in, in, in this type of film where everybody suddenly speaks english you know (laughs) yeah why why is everybody suddenly speaking english right well i think what we wanted to do to talk about this movie and i think one of i think we're all on the same page no pun intended for this but i think we all really like the chapters uh of the this movie i think it's really smart for storytelling purposes so i think we should get into chapter one which is once upon a time in nazi occupied france which is what tarantino initially wanted to call this movie because he had it set up as a western in mind like paying homage to like the old spaghetti westerns and things like that this beginning i just i don't know even as soon as like the title of the movie pops up and that music kicks in it's just immediately i remember seeing this in a theater and i just remember being instantly like smitten and i was like i'm here i'm where i want to be this is exactly what i wanted and everything more and it's just like the you know the beethoven and neo um Marconi, I think that's how you say his last name. His his scores coming in in the beginning. Marconi. The dread of the Nazis pulling up to the French farm. It's just like, oh, it's just, and this movie is so beautiful. And I just, I don't know. I just like immediately grabs you, I feel like, as soon as it starts. I don't know if you both feel the same way or not. Completely. I want to say, I don't think he got Marconi. He wanted Marconi. I don't think he could do it for this movie. That's why he got him for Django. Yeah, but he did get him. He used some of his old songs. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah, in the beginning, Mm -hmm. that's his song. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You said something about the way it's filmed. And I never, I said this when I was on another podcast talking about Kill Bill. And I never really thought about Tarantino as a director so much, just like somebody that puts a camera there and they have these conversations. And it wasn't until Kill Bill that I'm like, wow, this is really, this is actually a really great director. And this movie, there's something about his macro lens or something. He films really well at these conversations that draw you in. It almost feels like the camera's not even there, which is incredible. And this opening scene is just a testament to that, just because 
the tension that builds usually like a movie will start in a way that grabs you and hooks you but like in an exciting way this is a conversation and each little of these chapters they all this is what tarantino does well it's a long slow drag and then it always culminates in some finale that's just like like a we call it a crescendo, a crescendo at the end of each chapter. But it is a crescendo, you're right. Yeah. We're going to talk about some of the other scenes later on, but there's always an elevation. There's always a worsening of the dread consistently through the the film, I think, uh, through each scene, sorry. And I think the the thing that I was reminded of this time when I watched it, there's this, that this is not an action film. Despite mm, being called yeah. Inglorious Bastards, featuring Jew hunters and you know an American group of paramilitary operate, operative scalping people, it's not action at all. Um, there's there's gruesome elements to it to heighten the dread and anxiety, but it's suspense really to mm, me. Yeah, I feel like, and it's a it is a western, you know, and it almost feels like Quentin Tarantino can't not make a western movie <laughs> sometimes. And you just like when the Morricone score does kick in, you're just like, oh, he's at it again, making his bloody westerns everywhere he goes. But I think it really works that these are all showdowns between people and small groups of people. And in confined spaces, I feel really claustrophobic. Like this is in a very mm. small French barn. Later on, we're in a tavern underground. Then we're in a cinema. You know, these are not open spaces. In a war, you're in the trenches. Mm. You know, you're at Dunkirk, you're at the beaches. Here, we're in these tiny, tiny rooms. It's espionage, like we're saying, it's undercover. That's interesting. That's really Mm -hmm. interesting. And and I think that only heightens it, you know, and then we have the Dreyfuses um, hiding underneath the floorboards, you know, in the most tiniest of, of spaces. So there's something there about, like, what he's trying to create, clearly, and, you know... I haven't nailed it or, 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 or unraveled it all, but you get the sense that it's you were supposed to be feeling hemmed in mm-hmm. by it and things are supposed to be building all the way through. Yeah, I really like that it hasn't gotten to the point in the conversation yet that um, Len- Landa knows or is going to tell the farmer that he knows that he's, you know, harboring uh, refugees or Jews and there's this pan down where we get to see it before mm-hmm. it's revealed that he knows. But when you get the pan down, you know that he knows and you know, that's why he's there and you know that he's just messing with him. And I think one of the scariest things um, that Linda does throughout the movie is he'll be super charming and funny. Like, Oh, I love Romers. Like I love that. Mm-hmm. Or when he's a yeah. squirrel, <laughs> like a squirrel, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, his, and he's so funny and charming and like, Oh may I have a glass of your delicious milk. And he's like, super like a good like guest and all this stuff. But whenever that switch changes and he goes to like the very scary, like Jew hunter, and you realize, like, he's not there to be your friend. He's not there to be your buddy. He's there for one job and one job only. And he's already won before you even mm-hmm. know it. And it's really chilling how quickly he can go from that fun, funny person to this very dark, sinister mm-hmm. guy looking right into your and- soul, it feels like. <laughs> what was the prize that he promised Mr. Petty? if he cooperated, it was that they would cease to harass his, his family. family. <laughs> and that's terrifying. And, and they'd already, and, and they, exactly, especially when he'd already made a point of going around each of his daughters and saying how beautiful mm-hmm. 
the old word, like a creepy man. Well, you just know that that was happening already. Mm -hmm. You could just sense that very definitely. And then when that comes out of his mouth at that point, you know, God bless the dairy farmer. What is he going to do in that situation? Yeah. It's, you know, he's he's done. He's he's already done. He's already done in. Is this? I know that we kind of already mentioned some of the people in this movie, and we are going to talk about how great Tarantino picked a cast of people that weren't even famous yet. But Leah Sadu is one of the daughters. She's Charlotte in the very beginning, and she's mm. huge now. So it's just funny. Like, look, even just like that little minor character like that in the beginning. It's like somebody. Because she's the one, she doesn't say anything, but one. she is the one doing the most out of the three daughters by not doing anything, mm-hmm. by not talking to this, mm. you know, by giving mm. one last look back before she shuts the door. And so he's giving mm-hmm. her the most to do out of the three daughters. He's giving her the most important role of the three daughters. And it's like he knew just something he knew about her. Like, this is somebody that has that quality about them. And now she's a big famous movie star. So it's just, it's fun looking back and watching this movie and seeing how famous a lot of these mm. people are now. You said something interesting in our DMs, how you said he's very good at getting people right before Tarantino can cast people right before they become mega stars. I mean, Brad Pitt aside, but um, I think it is interesting because then we segued into a conversation um, about known actors. And this this spills over to the next chapter, if I can. Um, George Lucas, I think, is what was my like beacon of creators. And he, when he made Star Wars, he did not want to have known actors in the movie. He wanted to make sure that it wasn't like something grounded in American, like a feeling of American movie. And that just so he stuck with me because I think when there's a movie that I don't know anybody, this movie in particular, like these could be huge European stars. But it takes me out when I kind of feel like, oh, I've seen this person in something, something, something. But when I don't know anybody, it feels like anybody can die. Anybody can do anything. I don't know what to expect from anybody. And just it also feels like I'm watching something that really happened. My, um, Mikey, can I ask you, do you yeah. know, do you know who he originally wanted to play Londa? I do. And that was the Caprio, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Do you know how bad that would have been? Who was yeah. it? Mm hmm. Yeah. Fuck me. That would have been awful. And he, well, I also, yeah. I also, I also, um, saw an interview with him where he, or no, sorry, an interview with one of the producers when Quentin said, look, I think I've written an uncastable role. Right. Yeah. No one's going to be able to come in and yeah. do this. And then apparently the very next day in, in waltzes, <laughs> hey, in waltzes, <laughs> Christoph Waltz and apparently did like, four different languages because i think he could speak italian but perhaps not to the level he he did in in the film and he was all very gracious and said oh thank you mr tarantino for the opportunity and they were like oh no thank you thank you and they were like high-fiving immediately because what lightning in a bottle is that oh my gosh for real incredible just like you're talking mikey about how sinister this guy is bloody nora he is the most evil man on the planet if you watch this movie i think isn't mm-hmm. he but yet so so charming so likable so so yeah. charming he's so likable yeah i and marcy he won for this right? yeah he won actually and then a couple years and... later he wins again for Django unchained mm-hmm. but he's a good guy in Django. uh he asked he asked <laughs> tarantino specifically he's like i will be in, in one of your other movies but i have to be a good guy i cannot be another villain <laughs> because i think he kind of unfortunately did get stamped as a a villain you know like good like how you know how like we were talking yeah. about Margot robbie was the pretty girl and everything uh waltz definitely was put into a villain box i think he does a lot more now yeah. um but 
you want to talk about like, you could see him sorry mercy yeah. you could see him becoming like a new alan rickman that's what i was gonna say this, this, Ooh, this performance yeah. and i didn't want to just say it because i know it's two germans <laughs> but i mean this is like hans gruber this is very like yeah. this is a villain i really like this is a villain i like am drawn to this is the villain i'm looking at him and nobody else and it's funny because mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to think of other times this happened, but like, I mean, just the year before this, you get Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight, which is another one where it's like, mm-hmm. that's, you've got my full attention. And I think when your villain is that compelling, yeah, you've got a, a good movie, like a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that I mentioned the Academy Awards cause to me personally, that to me, who should win is you can't imagine anybody else in that role. Or nobody else could do that role. And that I couldn't imagine well, this mm-hmm. as Leo, I think, is a phenomenal actor. No way he could carry this better but than consi- Christoph Waltz. Considering that this is best supporting actor, right? Yeah. Right. Considering that we talked last episode that Mikey Mark got nominated for the Departed, <laughs> is, I mean, they are just like different levels. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I mean, it, and it's the part, the part that was written as well is, is obviously different levels. But oh my God. There ain't no competition there, is there? Yeah. Well, yeah. Let, shall we move on to chapter? Two? Yeah. yeah. Let's, and I have yeah. a good. Wanna... Yeah. I have a good segue into chapter Go two ahead. because the the opposite of what a great actor is and what it, what how phenomenal Christoph Waltz is, B J Novak. I think you're probably a fine writer. Stop trying to be. Oh, mean. he just he, just completely took I me thought, out of like why is B J Novak is this? You know who I thought you were gonna say, Mikey. Oh, was oh, Eli right. Roth because he is Roth. so Roth. over yeah, yeah. the top in this movie, but he's he really good yeah. friends with Tarantino, and mm-hmm. I think it's, he's the worst in this movie. Yeah. I'm just gonna <laughs> say his boss, Donnie. his Boston accent, Teddy Williams going yeah. Talk about bad Boston accents, like that is a really bad <laughs> Boston accent. But I think it adds to the humor of this movie, so I think mm. it works. If that makes sense, sure. Yeah, but I cannot. I think take the Inglorious Bastards yes. are, are are a comedic trope, yes. I think, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah come on, <laughs> we've got we've got a, a crazy juxtaposition of flipping Lander, who is the most sinister evil man on the planet, and then we've got Brad Pitt, who's apparently depend descended from the Apaches, <laughs> <laughs> talking about scalping people in the in what accent is that? You two. So he that's ten- he, that's he says he's from Tennessee, Tennessee yeah. but that sounds way more south than Tennessee. Yeah. But he's from the Apple. But yeah, they all personalities. It's like it's like eighties sitcom A team. I don't know. Everybody had a person GI Joe. They all have a different person. One of my favorite things in this movie and it always makes me laugh is when we get hugo uh sticklets for the first time and it, his name just mm. pops up it's like <laughs> and the guitar comes in it's like this is freaking gold this is samuel L. so yeah. freaking so, good overall Ch- chapter two the inglorious bastards mm-hmm. i think it's is it called yeah that? that's what it's called. um yeah. it's where we meet the team mm-hmm. we meet our inglorious bastards who are a team of americans infiltrating behind enemy lines in france simply just to kill nazis led by aldo the apache brad pitt eli roth is in there somewhere with a baseball bat your guy from the office is in there in the background doing something as well but but basically that's what you need to know and we've got hugo sticklitz mm-hmm. sticklitz mm-hmm. who's a german defector who killed 13 gestapo agents mm-hmm. and then we've got another um, guy from austria 
who made out when the going was good, mm-hmm. who, who also is, is part of the bastards. Oh, those, those two, those two, those two are important. I, I really, I love, yeah, yeah I just was going to say, I really like the guy from Austria that made his way to America and then went back to yes. fight because that happened a lot. I actually was lucky enough in college. We had a, um, we had a couple people that survived the Holocaust. And then we had a couple people that fought during world war two. They actually came and talk to us. And it was a very special, surreal thing because I think we're going to be the last generation that gets to hear these stories firsthand. Mm. But the mm. one guy, he, his family was from Austria. He came over here and as soon as he could enlist, he went back and fought in World War II and he was Jewish. Mm. And I just think like those types of stories are one of the more fascinating, one of the more interesting things to me about the, And I, so I like that piece because that did happen. A lot of people, came over to America and then immediately went back to go fight for their people, for their country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think he's a good, he was a great actor mm-hmm. for me. He played his part really well. Just really yeah. calm, um, did what he <laughs> needed to do in, in every scene, <laughs> just provided a little bit of grounding versus Aldo. Brad Pitt's yeah. obvious eccentricities, which is what you needed. If they were all like that, mm-hmm. which I, I've got no, I mean, I quite enjoyed it. I enjoyed Brad Pitt's performance, mm-hmm. but you can only have one of those. Yeah. 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 And and so we had the real kind of, you had Hugo who barely said a word. And then we, and then we had, um, I can't remember the name. I can't remember the name of the Austrian guy, but the Austrian guy mm-hmm. who did a lot of the talking and translating, he was just very measured. I liked him a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really, I just have to say though, I think Aldo has the best lines in this movie. <laughs> So oh, yeah. tell him if he wants to ever eat a sauerkraut sandwich again, then tell <laughs> us where his people are. And just, I just like love, I just love because I think in a way, Waltz and Pitt mirror each other with some of the ways they say things. So like in the beginning, you know, you have Waltz mm. being like, oh, I love rumors. And then you've got Brad Pitt being like, mm-hmm. oblige him. And he's and the guy, like, him. you've got these extreme, like, I don't know, but it's magic. It's pure that's magic. magic. That's all I got to say. The scenes, but the, I, the scenes are mirrored as well, mm-hmm. I thought. This time around watching, I recognized that the two conversations that are mirrored, we have Lander and the dairy farmer, and we have Aldo and the German sergeant. Mm-hmm. And they're both trying to get information out of them. One is more mm. successful than the other. And they were just like a real kind of interesting counterpoint to each other i just thought that that they were so that's interesting so next to each other that's in the interesting, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's funny crap. chapter three and shoshana and her cinema yeah melanie Beautiful. laurent um just absolutely in love with this character i i'm 19 this movie comes out there weren't many strong female protagonists that I can really remember like knowing immediately like that's what they were but she just that's what she is you know she Mm. (laughs) so Frederick he comes and he's like flirting with her and she is not giving him the time of day and I just love that she's not afraid to stick up to German soldiers Mm. you know she comes up with this whole plan that we'll get into a little bit more but you can just tell right away that she's a badass and I am so thankful for this character and this performance because it's amazing she gives no fucks whatsoever (laughs) Shoshana is the girl that ran away in the beginning she's uh, one of the Jewish girls who were living under the floorboards um, who's managed to escape and got a cinema which they do bring up as a bit of a running joke. How does she get this cinema? Which her, her aunt gave it to her. Her aunt and uncle 
mm-hmm. apparently. So we, we meet her at the beginning. She's sorting out the frontage of her cinema, and up comes Frederick Zola, who is we the, a German war hero. We don't know he's a war hero yet. We just think he's a guy hitting on her, and they have this conversation where he's obviously flirting with her. She's not interested, but there's a there's a tiny moment of horror in this for me when he says, well, what's your name? And she turns around and she says, oh, you want to see my papers? And and that, that automatic response, it wasn't like mm-hmm. you know, somebody sort of saying, oh, what's your name? And, oh, you know, I'm not interested. Don't, I'm not giving you it. It's like, oh, you want to see my papers? And she walks up, presents her papers. And he doesn't kind of push them away and act, no, no, no. He takes them, looks at them. And it's that kind of real, genuine terror that that you get from that everyday encounter that that is so routine for her that that mm-hmm. is what she has to do mm-hmm. in that situation and even though he's trying to get in her good books he takes it and accepts that his role you know that, that he wants to do that Can- you know he wants to know who she is and he will look at her papers to get to do it yeah i i think that it's it's sad in ways too that i mean i know he is a german soldier but he is trying to flirt with her and I don't even think she's so disgusted by what he is that she's not even considering that that's what he's trying to do. So I think she's just sadly automatically defensive and has to be to survive. And it is really heartbreaking because a lot of people had to do that during this time. Um, And for him, when I first saw this movie, um, so Daniel Brühl plays Frederick. And also Daniel Brühl is a super mega star now, too. It's like, I can't believe all the people in this movie, like, looking back on it, because the first time I saw this, just really funny, the credits were going, you know, in the beginning, who's all in this movie? And I was like, Brad Pitt. And then I was like, and then like later, and it was funny that you made the Mike Myers joke, because like later when I was like, guest starring, I was like, I know Mike Myers. And I was like, what is who is in mm. this movie? Uh, but now they're all like mega stars, which is really fascinating to me. Um, I did not die in Kruger, but we'll we'll get into her though later. The first time I saw this, I was like, oh, he is taking her papers because he thinks he's well, he's an idiot and he thinks she's flirting with him by being like, oh, you want to see my papers? But she's just doing what she's doing to survive, and he. Mm-hmm. But exactly. what you say, Dirk, makes a lot of sense because so Frederick is very sweet in the beginning. It's kind of it's like a long, longer performance of the switch that you get with Christoph Waltz in the beginning, but he's very sweet, and you think like you know, like you kind of feel sorry mm. for him in a way, but when you see who he really is at the end of the movie. Yeah, like I think he was taking her papers to be a creep and figure out who she was so he could stalk her or find where she was like later, you know, like I'm the war hero. You should be like worshiping me and dating me and blah, blah, blah type of attitude. And um, but I think he's really I I think he's really good in this movie, though, Daniel Brule. And what you what you say about people surviving, doing what they do to survive. We see that all the time in this with especially with the, the French women being taken on in various different roles by the German officers, the German soldiers. And so it was, I won't say commonplace, but it happened Yeah, that um, you, that was a way that you could ensure your survival was by being paired up with someone. We see Goebbels' interpreter. We also see there's a scene in a pub, in a bar, where there's lots of French girls with German officers on one side of the saloon and just a couple of French uh, women drinking on an opposite side of the saloon alone. So I think it is, it's, you know, a lot of German officers presumed that people would want to get with them, couldn't see the reality of the situation sometimes. It's just incredible. You can't put yourself, I just can't put myself in that position of being in that time. Of course I can't. Of like, what would you do to survive? 
and Shoshana is, is <laughs> it's not even thinking about that. She's just like, F you, F you, this, get out of my face. And I think she's really, like you said, Marcy, so strong. Mm-hmm. So strong. I mean, she does have to survive in her own weird little way how she can. She has to give in a little bit because I love the line where uh, Frederick's mm-hmm. like, oh, thank you for the German film festival. And she's like, you're welcome, though I didn't have much of a choice. <laughs> and it's just like mm-hmm. she's doing what she has to do at the bare, bare, bare minimum. But she still has the balls to be like, please get out of here. I am trying to have a drink and enjoy myself. Also, can I just say that Paris Cafe, where there are books everywhere, that is my dream, okay? That is like, <laughs> like the perfect <laughs> spot, okay? Like where I, just, I was like Where obsessed. she's drinking oh a glass God, of red wine. It just was so beautiful. It made me so happy. And she looked cool as hell <laughs> oh, just sitting there. The bit, the, the cafe where she's drinking a glass of red wine, mm-hmm. smoking a cigarette, reading a book, and is wearing a jaunty hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't think she could look any more French than she does in that moment. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to swim. <laughs> in that scene she's just like the very definition of french elegance right there no wonder zola's rapping on the bloody window to get in mm-hmm. bugging mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, um, I love that bloody i just hat. have to since we talked you, you mentioned her hat i am in love with the costumes in this movie oh my mm. god they're just mm-hmm. i don't know like what diane and melanie specifically are wearing in this movie just absolutely gorgeous just mm. beautiful beautiful stuff just perfect gotta say that that's yeah what's interesting about like uh shoshana because she is such a strong character there's so much in between that we're just kind of filling in the gaps of that story and originally when tarantino we were talking about that pre-production i those ideas he was thinking about this for a series and probably if you another like 10 years it probably would have been like an hbo max series but I would have been, which normally I'm turned off to, but like this would have, I would have loved to see more Shoshana. Like she runs out of the house. She's got blood all over her face. Where does she go? How does she end up having this cinema in France? Like how does she f- change her whole life? I think would be super fascinating. The other thing I want to say about um, Zoller, what's that his name? He is a Nazi and he could very well, and they are in occupied France and he could very well just kind of, he's not, he doesn't behave like the Nazis we we're used to seeing on film where he is still trying to, hit on her and he's kind of taking her rejection pretty well and he still has a smile on his face and he's not upfront with saying like listen do you know who i am and we come to learn as like an audience that he is this war hero because he's he was up in a um, bird's nest as a sniper and he killed x amount of americans over the course of three days and they made a movie about him called the nation's pride and he decides uh to have he he urges them or he campaigns for the movie to be shown in her movie theater because he is smitten with her mm-hmm. he didn't just make a movie about him he is the star Ooh, lead star. actor in joseph goebbels um propaganda film i always thought propaganda was a name given to um when you when a when a government released stories that was you know <laughs> for their own betterment i didn't realize it was actually what it that, that, that's my ignorance i didn't realize it was called propaganda at the time mm-hmm. mm. it just blows my mind that that, that, <laughs> that word has now become they were front with, it, with yeah. <laughs> yeah with with false false news but yeah so frederick zoller mm-hmm. is the main actor in the film portraying his heroic slaying of 300 
Allied soldiers in three days from a bell tower. And he thinks this is what's going to flip in bowl Shoshana over. Oh, I killed 300 people, mate. What do you think about that? 300 <laughs> of your countrymen, maybe. Oh, what do you think about that? Oh, well, I, I mean, loving it. Yeah, but at the same time, he could have been like, oh, you like, you have a, he could have been right up front, like walked in and been like, hey, oh, you like movies? Guess what? They made a movie about me and I'm the main star. He didn't even do that role. And I like how, actually, that they did make it seem like he's remorseful about what he did. Well, later on when the movie's played, he seems like he's remorseful. This is like a horrible Mm. thing that he had to relive through this. Um, By the way, do you know who shot that movie? Eli Roth and his brother. Joseph Joseph Goebbels. Joseph Goebbels shot it. What do you think? We all know who shot that, Mikey. Um, But it gets us. The whole point of that exposition is to get us to where we need to be, which is in this restaurant. Right. With Shoshana is brought in front of Goebbels. He's with Zola is there to try and negotiate. Well, Zola wants this, this film, like you said, Mikey at Shoshana's cinema. So he can make out with her and smooch in the back row. (laughs) Uh, And they're getting on and they're thinking it's going to happen. And what I love about that scene at the beginning is all of the 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 eye acting that Shoshana is doing and the gestures and she's not really saying very much she is acting the shit out of that scene just by these little glances and these there's a moment where Goebbels uh smacks Zola with a hang with a, like a napkin or something play fighting and she's a bit like oh that's how it is is it and she's like doesn't quite know how to take any of it but then then there's a moment when Lander, the person who murdered her entire family, puts her puts his hand on her shoulder, and oh my goodness, Marcy, talk us through it. So I have a I have a really quick question because I I kind of felt this way on this rewatch. Does Lander know it's her? Because mm, the way he looks at I her, mm-hmm. the way he looks at her, and then he also orders milk for the strudel. Mm-hmm. And he wants out. We know he wants out by the end of the movie. And I think he's like, I know this girl. I know she wants her revenge. And she will probably do something at this cinema. So let's have it at this cinema. Because he is so smart. That's the other scary thing about Londa is he is so smart. But you're talking about like Shoshana's like eye acting. Londa's eye acting, looking at her, mm-hmm. looking her over. I think he knows it's her. But what what did you... Mm. both think i really thought that on on my rewatch this time i think it's left there i think it's ambiguous and i think we're supposed to wonder if he knows it because he asks he's, the last thing he says is and he goes oh and one final question they're both sharing a cigarette i think mm-hmm. and there's one final question and there's that long mm-hmm. pause as she's waiting for him to ask that question and he's like i forget must not have but been i think important. that's like how evil he is is that he's messing with her he knows Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, like that. It's just he, he, he's oh. working it out in his head. He's the cogs mm-hmm. are going, the cogs are going. Yeah. And he's like, do I push this or do I just use this to my advantage mm-hmm. later on? I, I, that's that's what it could be. I have to give her everything though for that performance. And then as soon as he walks away, that she just crumbles, mm-hmm. and it's so heartbreaking because I can't imagine yeah. having to be pleasant at a table of, of Nazis to the man that murdered your entire family, like. I, I I remember at my wedding not being able to eat the meal <laughs> because I was so nervous about mm. doing the speech. Oh. And yet she's there having to eat that strudel with the creme <laughs> on top. 
and and like she's trying to have to eat it as this man sat across from her who murdered her entire family like and she sh- sh- she puts it in her mouth and she's like mm it's good I, was like, I can't believe that 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 the kind of we talked about being brave before but like that kind of mm. fortitude that that character has within them and then that outlet of breath like you said Marcy that's just like everything in that scene everything mm-hmm. in that scene just comes out yeah. i just love it and i love that i love that and i love that it's meeting londa for the second time well she doesn't technically meet him in in the farmhouse but it's her second meeting of seeing him is what fuels the plan no pun intended <laughs> but it's after that she gives mm-hmm. a tour of the cinema and marcel who is her projectionist i love i love how she sticks up for him too um, mm. because he is black and, you know, there is some racist, you know, connotations against black people in this movie as, uh, you know, she sticks up for him and says like, you know, he's the best at his job. And I, I love that scene a lot, but I, I love their conversation where she starts making the plan and she's like, we're talking about it. He's like, no, you're talking about it. She's like, we're talking about <laughs> it. And, and I love the narrative. Because you love me. <laughs> yeah. And you wouldn't let me do it. Yeah, alone. it's very cute. <laughs> and um, I, I really like the, I do like that, you know, there are no Tarantino regulars in this movie, except you do get Samuel Jackson narrating a couple of different times. And then you do get Harvey Keitel at the end. Um, on the phone. And, uh, I do love the narration of the flammable, um, film reels. I, cause I never knew that. And it's, I think it's just really, mm-hmm. it's fun. It takes you a little bit out of it. And I love it. It's like Shoshana has a collection of 300 and blah, 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 blah. And I, I just love it. It's such as you're like, this is going to happen. And it just, you see the whole plan before it even like unravels and you're like so pumped for it to go into the next chapter and what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, so that's Shoshana's plan mm-hmm. to blow up the cinema. Mm. But we also find there's another plan to blow up the cinema, don't we, Mikey? Mm. All of a sudden, hard pivot, we get to the British side. <laughs> and the very British Mike Myers to take us out of this movie. Michael Fassbender walks into a room and we see Winston Churchill in the corner. And we see Michael Fassbender, who has a gentleman's... Uh, drink with Mike Myers and you don't know what's going on and we come to learn about Opera- Operation Kino as they say it. Which is chapter and so four. Fassbender talk- chapter four. <laughs> so Fassbender talks about they just kind of go through his resume real quick and he's like a, before the war he was a French, uh, uh, no he's a film critic and he asked him his credentials about the German films market and he, you know, gives some exposition about how knowledgeable he is and the reason they chose him is because they learn about opera they learn about the movie being played at this this uh theater and they also have intel that that hitler's going to be there in the theater as well so their plan on the british side not they, at this point they not don't. at this point yeah. oh they don't know no not okay the, no. no not the british yeah oh that's they, not oh, revealed that's right. until von later ha- von, von yeah. helmersman yeah so he tells him that we have von so we have a Ben Hammersmart, who is a German actress, and she's apparently a, a spy for the for the Allies, and she is going to get them into this premiere where they will blow try to shit, up. blow shit up, and that's the plan. So Fassbender is going to meet up with the Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> well, that, but he says we have some contacts, and they're the Inglorious Bastards. So now we have a kind of a merger of these two characters, these two groups. 
Yeah, and let's just uh, get it out of the way right now. The Brits in this film are dopes. <laughs> no, they're not. Yes, they are. That's Absolutely. Is, you... But they're supposed to be dopes, right? They're very clearly written as a bunch of dopes. You cannot get Mike Myers playing one of your colonels and not be acting like they're a bunch of dopes. <laughs> you know, Mike Myers' parents are from Liverpool. I'm aware of this fact. Oh, He's drawn on that heavily <laughs> in his film career, as we all know. Mm. But Archie Hickox, the British soldier, is very... Um, if you offer me a scotch and plain water, I'll take a scotch and plain water. Mm. Oh, my God. He's that's perfect. an absolute twat. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love that. And I think we're supposed to feel... The bars of the glow. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, that was so fascinating. Awesome. <laughs> yes, the bars of the glow. The glow. <laughs> Did you? Was that that was the thing over here? We people used to have like a bar in a globe. Did you have not have that in That's the cool. US thing? I, yeah, like I, I like one now. I always thought it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought it was fucking awesome. Um, so yeah, Archie is this film expert, and he meets the bastards, and he's gonna meet Richard Von Hammersmith. Can I in the um, tavern? Go <laughs> we on, get Bars. we get Aldo back finally, and once again, as I said mm-hmm. earlier, Aldo has my favorite lines in this movie. And he's like, "Is that the kind of man you need?" <laughs> loquacious. The loquacious tap. There's a lot of difficulties fighting and having a rendezvous in a goddamn basement. Number one beating, you're fighting a goddamn basement. <laughs> oh my god! I just love. I but is that is that uh-huh. is that kind of dopiness from Archie, where he's like, "She's a British spy. Of course, she's going to be there." And it's that kind of. I, I think. I think the Brits are, are played up to be buffoons in this, which I'm, which I'm more than happy with. He's the but, smartest man. He's what, the second smartest man in this movie, Fazbender. Uh, Archie. Yeah, Archie. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Absolutely, fuck no. And this is we were talking before about the scenes getting worse, steadily worse, worse. Worst. Mm, this tavern scene. Yeah, oh, my, oh my God. God. Jesus Christ. If, you know, if, if they wrote a list of things that could have gone oh, wrong yeah. meeting in this tavern, I don't think they would have got half the stuff that actually mm-hmm. happens in, in this at all. Yeah, I mean, so, you talked about making a speech at your wedding, and I get nervous about, like, just a regular meeting. Could you imagine the anxiety or people who have high anxiety walking into <laughs> to a bar undercover and then ha- seeing that there is full, full of German soldiers? But they're having a good time because it just happens to be one of the soldiers is having a baby. So that's why they're celebrating. Wilhelm. Wilhelm. <laughs> Max. Wilhelm. Maximilian. I think Bridget uh, plays it all very well, but she is an actress. Like, hello, my loves. Mm-hmm. Like, when they come in, and mm-hmm. she's very sweet and cute. I love Diane Kruger. She was mm-hmm. pretty, I'd say she was pretty well known before Inglourious Pastors because she was in Troy and she was in national the National Treasure movies. Before mm-hmm. this, mm, so she know. looks like a golden age star. She does. Yeah, yeah. She's got she that does. real classic look for all the money in the world. Like she's a movie oh, star. Oh, she is beautiful. Uh, I I love. Mm-hmm. I love. She has charisma too. Like it's very like very much. She is perfect for this role. Um, and I I know mm. we were talking about uh, outfits earlier, and you were talking about uh, mm-hmm. Shoshana's hat. How about her hat in this bar? Okay, mm-hmm. like oh my goodness, I'm, I'm obsessed with it. I want to wear this outfit like so bad. <laughs> I just f me this hat. <laughs> it's perfect for the game too because she can put the card in yeah. easily. But um, I think she's the smartest one in the room because they get down there. She's yeah, played she it off. 
you know, and then she has to, they're like, let's leave. And she's like, it would look really stupid if I've been waiting for right. you here at this bar. And we immediately left. So yeah, we're going to get a drink. But, um, you know, we are talking a little bit. I think, I don't think like Archie is stupid. I think he's cocky and there's a difference, yeah, but it leads good. him to make some pretty freaking dumb mistakes and i think we're gonna get to the biggest one which is which is where what try try whiskey where he's asking for three whiskey i did not know this Cause so I... would you have known this if you were in germany would you have known no okay. no 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 I, Can I tell a story? Not... my one of tell it. shout out to sam montenegro who's probably not listening anyway but he's a sam f- you're my boy <laughs> he uh he went to high school a boarding school in germany and his wife says when they were watching this movie in the theater Held up the three fingers. He's like, "Oh shit!" He's he's like he knew it. He knew that this was like. I guess this is like a German. He's like, "Oh no, they know. He knows." Yeah. And she's like, "What do you mean? What do you mean?" He's like, "I'll tell you later." So he knew. What I love Mm -hmm. on a rewatch of this, and why I think Diane is so perfect for this role, is that immediately she sees this, and her whole face falls. Like when you rewatch this movie, her whole attitude just is completely like, "We are so fucked right now." And I love how that Hugo knows it. The Austrian guy knows it. Everybody in that room knows it, but Archie. And he's still playing it off like, I got this. And that is what is so fascinating about this scene is he still thinks he's the smartest one at that table. Because and everybody else yeah. knows that they're on to mm-hmm. him. And it's really like. So it's the Yeah. We're talking about a Gestapo agent. Mm-hmm. Um, we did, I the, mentioned this um, the, this guy earlier. He was the guy that was like, "Whoa, what part of Germany are you from?" And he could tell which area everybody was from by their uh, accents. Yeah. It's okay. By the way, was that the same guy in the what, yes what, at the restaurant scene? Yeah, I didn't he's notice the one that, that takes yeah. Shoshana yeah. to yeah. Frederick, yeah. and he's like, "You're coming with me." Drinking. And he's like, "You got my invitation?" And she's like, "Invitation?" And no, that was not an mm-hmm. invitation. Like, so mm-hmm. he is drinking a boot of lager. <laughs> <laughs> That is a Stein. That is a proper German drink. That is a two liter, I think. Well, maybe or one liter. I can't remember. But it's a Stein. It's two pints basically um, of lager. He's got that in a boot. Um, But But I like his reveal too. His reveal was pretty cool too. You think you know you're accounted for every single German in the room, but when they start having this conversation about your dialogue, your your dialect's really weird. He find out he's in the back, which I thought was so cool as a viewer the first time. He's another guy who knows already. You mm-hmm. know, we talked about Landon knew. He knew before the three fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, if he didn't know, why would he be pushing this colonel about his accent? You know, he, he there was obviously, and I did. I know all the important Germans in France, so he knew. But that mm. was that the three finger thing was the mm. bit that, that sold it. And apparently, apparently, Archie's accent is very much an English German accent. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, like, if you are German. It's it it feels very true that somebody would be saying, "Where are you from?" You know, it's like it's like me doing this. Hello, I am the German. <laughs> or you, you know, do it's a, not a or real. Or you do an Aldo a, impression. I think. Yeah, You'd be like what part? Is it's it? not like a real German accent. <laughs> yeah. So, I think he made him, and then that ramps up every little bit of every single mistake that Archie makes, or somebody mistakes through it, just furthers his desire. To, to actually find out what's going on. I love when Archie finally, and you don't find out the finger thing until a little bit after this. No. But when he does realize that he's officially caught um, and he goes back to his 
um, native language. I just love kings. Do you mind if I go out speaking mm-hmm. the kings? And uh, I just think mm-hmm. that's such a great. And then you like know it's about to go down. And I think I think this scene is just so full of tension because you're like, who all knows mm-hmm. what? What is going to happen? Mm-hmm. There are some innocent people in in that bar, the bartender and and his um, assistant or whatever she is, and. Daughter. daughter is it his daughter okay no it's his daughter. Oh, mm-hmm. and then um you know you know there's i mean not that you know matt like you said like Wil- Wilhelm just became a father do you really want to see him die i mean like to, you know having a little bit of humanity for the other side if you're thinking about it but i do i absolutely love that like that showdown between archie and the the nazi where they're both like we're not making it out of here just so you know, who somebody else might, but neither of us are. And he's like, "Well, you tell him what what, what you want to say, Hugo." And he says, "I'll be just saying to your Nazi balls," and he shoots mm. him, and it is so <laughs> great. But I love that, like Hugo is going to die, but he still stabs that guy a bunch of times before <laughs> yeah. he goes. He because yeah. he's because like nah. And and coming back to your Bridget von Hammersmark is the smartest person in the room. She is the one. Who's mm. left surviving at the end? <laughs> who polishes off Wilhelm? Yeah, because she recognizes. And I, mm. initially, I'm thinking oh, that's a bit tight, killing Wilhelm. But of course, of course, she has to kill Wilhelm, <laughs> otherwise the jig is up, right? Yeah. Because if and then they already established at the beginning of the scene, Archie says, "Look, if something goes wrong, nobody can walk out of there, not even the French." Mm-hmm. And so, unfortunately for Wilhelm, the new dad. He's, I don't know. He has to. He has to die. But he would have taken his autograph with him, and they would. They would have got. They, so so this this ties back to how I thought on this rewatch that Landa knew it was Shoshana, because whenever he finds, whenever he finds Bridget's uh, autograph, he kisses it like it's a little like, oh yes, this is exactly what I needed for myself, not for anybody else, because he doesn't immediately tell anybody about her you know mm. no no so, because he has his long game all along about how he's going to weasel his way out of his situation <laughs> and oh, that's interesting so yeah. that's why i think he knows it's shoshana and he's planting all the little seeds to get himself out, yeah, of, out of everything and yeah, to get the good. war over for himself not for anybody else honestly that man is ending world war ii for himself like let's be honest here mm-hmm. so i um i love also <laughs> we get so they don't know so the bastards i love like them calling down like like from the staircase you don't even see him you just hear him but them trying to like get bridget out of there but i like when they're at the vet and they don't know if they can trust her or not and um just their their conversations uh. together and she's like i don't know how am i supposed to walk the red carpet i've got I, like my leg is gonna get cut mm. off you know and stuff like this and she's so like she's just so spitfire with them like you idiots like how else are we gonna get this job done if you don't like cooperate with me and then that's when she tells them that she's like there's two developments it's no longer at the ritz it's at a smaller cinema in paris and that defia is going to be at so and, so she and she's the one gung-ho for it mm-hmm. when she realizes it can mm-hmm. happen even with the threat of the mm-hmm. leg being amputated she's like no we can make this work mm-hmm. we can make this work she's oh, great i just love mm. to also she's like so good. she's like well what do we do about my leg and he's like i don't know that's like a good how i broke my leg mountain climbing story she's like i don't like mountain climbing i like drinking and smoking and blah 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 and she's like nice yeah. restaurants <laughs> But I do love, like, because even going back to the beginning of Chapter 4, when we hear the Operation Kino, 
Mike Myers has this great line where he reveals that Bridget von Hammerschmack is like, you know, involved in this whole thing. And she's a double agent. And uh, he says, Operation Kino, you could say, was her brainchild because she still wants to carry this out. And she's so excited. And when they realize mm. like that they could pose as a, an Italian film crew, she's like, no, this is, could work. This could work. And and Alda's like, nah, it won't. She's like, no, no, this this could work because the Germans don't have a very good ear for Italian. Um, and I just <laughs> love that she's, she's, still, she's still like ready for it. She's still ready to go. I, I think they are... The four of them together. That's what I think of of this movie is them at this movie premiere. <laughs> it's just like him in that white coat, her in that black dress. They are just like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like the Dominic Oh my God. <laughs> Gorlami. <laughs> it's just so free. So that does take us on to chapter mm-hmm. five. Re- yes. Revenge of the Giant mm-hmm. Face. Revenge yes. of the Love Giant Face. Which is, and, yeah. Yeah, great. And how do we start this chapter off? Mm. We started off with one of the most German English men in the history of and the world. one of our mascots. David Bowie. Oh, yeah, okay. and, and, yeah, unofficial mascot of this pod, David Bowie. Absolutely. Yes. It's a bit of a come down for him, that <laughs> being one of the greatest musicians of all time. <laughs> and now the unofficial mascot of the movie mixtape. But he's, you know, I'm sure he'd accept it with the uh, warmth that it was delivered. But yeah. Cat people brackets parentheses. I was trying to remember the American name for it. Parentheses putting out fireplace while Shoshana is getting a war paint mm-hmm. on. <laughs> Marcy, talk to me about your stirrings with this. <laughs> there are just like certain things, like certain movies, certain moments you see in a theater, and you're like, I am never going to forget how I feel about this right now. And it was very similar to when you see Shoshana at the theater the first time when Frederick's trying to like pick her up or whatever but this song playing in the background and her putting on her makeup and then when she gets the blush and literally puts it on like war paint I will never forget seeing that for the first time see these eyes so green I can for a thousand Literally was like, hell yeah. 
this girl is gonna get it done and i am so excited to see it she's gonna do it Mm -hmm. and i just i mean like tarantino it's just like you wrote like this amazing female badass character she i know like diane kruger is very badass in this movie as well but she doesn't get to do all the cool things that Shoshana gets to do. And I just love her Mm -hmm. getting ready to go to battle. And I love the overhead shot of her leaving the one room out into the lobby. And then you see everybody there and her just looking down at like, well, you'll all be dead here in like an hour or two. So, and just Mm -hmm. the smile on her face because she knows what's going to happen. And Mm -hmm. I just, I love it. It's, it's iconic to me and her red dress. Absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous the timing of the song to when she opens the door and, and walks out to survey everybody over the mezzanine on the balcony, whatever is spectacular. She is a vision, Mikey P. Is she not? That red dress. What's great about that scene too, is like you see her and I think it's one long take where you see all the people that are going to die. But I think the the camera <laughs> then comes back. We see, is this the whole long crane shot? And we see where uh, Lando is too in, in the same place. And we can see like, where yeah. he is and then and then we all focus on on Aldo and Von Hammersmart that are in the Yes. So we're at the cinema mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And everybody's cinema, all just, just to be together. Everybody's together. All our plays are together. We've got Shana and Marcel who are gonna blow up the cinema. We've got Aldo, Bridget von Hammersmart, who are gonna blow up the cinema. We've got Lander who's up to some nefarious game of his own. And we've got Goebbels and the Fuhrer about to pop in as well. And Frederick. So Frederick all, is there yeah. as well. And Frederick. Yes. Thank <laughs> you, Marcy. And Frederick <laughs> Zola. But yeah, so from the shot from Shoshana, we go to La- Lander, I think, next year, Mikey. And he spots, who does he spot? Bridget von Hammersmark. That's correct. Yeah, I think, isn't and it? then mm-hmm. she turns mm-hmm. around, and they have known each other in the past. So I, I, I think this comes back poetically in a in a dark way. But she's like, "Oh, what are you like up to your old tricks of trying to pick me up?" But I love whenever he um, asks her about her leg, and she tries to brush it off, and then he's like, "No, seriously, what <laughs> happened to your leg?" And when she says mountain climbing, because he knows <laughs> she wasn't mountain climbing, his laugh. And how uncomfortable it makes everybody. Oh my gosh. It is such a, I don't know. It's like Walt's just like eating, eating in front of everyone and be like, none of you can handle this. I am so amazing at my job. But I just, I just love that right before, you know, like we were saying, like she says, like you guys could pull off the Italian because Germans don't have a a great ear for the Italian um, language. And, and so you get out of (laughs) as Gorlami and he just goes, Bongiorno, and then Christoph Waltz just goes mm. off, like off, <laughs> off to the races with like fluent, beautiful Italian, and they're all just like shit, staring at him. But <laughs> the circle around of like your name, Gorlami again, Gorlami, and then like just to the point where he's so fed up, he's like Gorlami, and he like whispers it, and then like <laughs> Dominic the Coco, and it's just <laughs> Dominic, Dominic the Coco. The Coco. <laughs> Margarete. Margarete. Ooh, music got to my ears. Yeah, that's like, like he's just mocking them to like an unbelievable level. It is like so much fun. He's the puppet master oh at that point, God. isn't he? It is so much he knows, fun. He's pulling all the strings. He knows exactly what's going on. Uh, and that's what Christoph Waltz, again, like he is a predator that likes to play with his food. And that's like he knows yes. every time he knows something, he's still like, I'm just going to 
I'm just going to mess with you. Mm-hmm. Gonna, and that, and that adds to his mm-hmm. like intelligence a little bit. Because mm-hmm. most it, people exactly. would like another German or an, another like simple minded German would be like, oh, I know you're a spy. Let's go. Let's get her. Van Hammer's mm-hmm. Let's get her. Because what do we know about Germans, Mikey? They're efficient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. You just get the job done. Look at Marcy Dale. <laughs> you know, the most efficient person in the world. She's our efficient. But, but he's also a sadist yeah. at the same time. I do want to mm-hmm. mention, though, like why I brought up the fact that like he and Bridget know each other and she's like, oh, yeah, you up to your old tricks of like trying to charm me or whatever. I think he's been scorned by her before because he had no other reason to kill her. But I think just out of pure spite for being scorned by her. And her betraying her country, I think that's why he kills her in such a graphic way. But that is such a brutal, mm. brutal death. That's interesting. I think that might be the most brutal death. It's a very in the movie. personal. Yeah, murder. that's what I mean. That's yeah. why I feel like he has tried to either get with her mm-hmm. or something in the past, and she has like turned up her nose at him or something, and she thinks she's better than him. And that's why he's just like messing with her that whole time too. He knows what she's done and who she is, mm. but he has no reason to. You know, he could let her go, but I think out of spite, he he kills her in like this very intimate way, and it is very, 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 very upsetting um, to see. Yeah, and we need we also need the Tarantino foot in shot actually too in that scene. So, <laughs> if the shoe fits, <laughs> wear it. Mm-hmm. We get a couple of shoe metaphors in mm-hmm. in this chapter. I think he's just a woman hater. Do you not think, Marcy? I think it's I think, I think it's a little bit even more personal with with her though because they do they do specifically bring up their past. That's interesting. That's and interesting. I, and he seems like the type that like I will never forget what you did to me and I will find a way to get back. But I also <laughs> what well, that's maybe I also think he's he's homosexual. Yeah, I thought that was it. That's why he wants out too. And that that guy at the end was his his Cuz Herman his lover. was his yeah. boyfriend that he yeah. tried to. Uh-huh. So that's why I don't yeah. that's why I'm sort of like yeah, at odds with that thing. Yeah. I didn't think yeah. Herman just, was his just... lover. Actually, the Herman thing made me laugh yeah. so hard this time because, like, he's like, "Thank you, Herman." And then, like later, when he's trying to make his deal, he's like, "Yeah, there's that guy." Um, he's like, "I don't know, Herman. I don't." But he downplays oh, it. Okay. He's a very capable radio operator because he doesn't make a big deal about it. I, Why else like, does he I want out? His name. Why else does he want out? Why is he going to try the gym? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know his name, kind of thing. He's Herman or something. And then he's so distraught when Aldo yeah. shoots him. Hmm. That's what I kind of. Hmm. Uh, but he does. But Bridget Van Hammersmack says, "I've known too many of your conquests, Hans, or something like that." That's what you're referring. Oh, to. so maybe she then, knows what oh, he's really like. There we go. To back you up, Marty. When he, when he asks for the foot, she says, "You embarrass me." hands because then that seems like flirting as well mm-hmm. doesn't it or something like that so it's difficult to to know it's there's a little bit of stalling for time there i think what it's murky whatever it is it is definitely just personal the reason he kills mm-hmm. yes yeah 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 because you're right there's no other death mm-hmm. like it in in the whole of of the film and it's and he hasn't got his hands bloody at any point mm-hmm. i think no, mm-hmm. that's everyone else take that is... shot of Shoshana yeah, in the middle. He... yeah 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 at the beginning yeah. i want to say you know, before we get into like the the end of the movie, I think <laughs> my actual favorite shot, of, I don't know why, but it always just takes my breath away. So they're watching A Nation's Pride. Um, Frederick and Shoshana have their moment in the projection room and her film starts. But I love Marcel behind the screen mm. and you see all the bullets f- 
falling and it's just a pile of like empty shelves and he's i don't know it's just it's just the back of him but him looking at this black and white movie and i love the scene i don't know why i just think it's like my favorite scene what a weird choice but whenever she's like burn it down and he just goes we shoshana and and then Mm. like lights all the film it's like just like i don't know i just really Mm. it's just it's to me the thing that sticks with me the most i think at that moment too then you we start as like an audience realizing that it is like romantic love story between the two of them i like that connection he's talking to her but not it's not really her but then i think you realize they were just going to be like i don't care if we die like we're going to take everybody out and we're going to go down Mm -hmm. with it that was their plan even like the glorious bastards we realized this is a suicide mission for everybody Mm -hmm. we got to do this and everybody was on board for it i really like their kiss goodbye because they both know what they're about to do and that they're both going to die but Mm -hmm. it's this very it's like one of the sweeter moments in the movie like her and marcel and then unfortunately Frederick, this is when you get to see the true side of Frederick, and he's very pushy, and he wants to get into the room with her, and he's like, okay, like, I've, you've had your fun, you've been playing hard to get, now you will pay attention to me, like, blah, 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 and then you see, like, what a what a creep he actually is, and then she shoots him. And I, I feel so bad because she has this moment of, like, regret, like, oh, like, oh, he's just an innocent guy, like, I shouldn't have shot him, and then he shoots her, and you're like, oh, no, he was he was an ass actually this whole time so you were right <laughs> i just wish she wasn't i just wish she wasn't shot mm-hmm. is that just too much to ask just a little bit too much depressing for I, me I, then yeah i guess i wish she would have lived i don't think she mm. was going to just the way they locked the theater i think everybody in that theater is just doomed so i think the only it's really it's like a double-edged sword but the only positive for her and bridget is that they were dead before they could be like burned alive or anything so there's Mm. like the one thing to wow i mean it's Mm. dark but i mean i mean that is a silver lining (laughs) isn't it i told you i tried to (laughs) warn you uh but no i i just think then this movie just goes off the freaking rails as soon as her movie starts it is like Mm -hmm. oh wait, you can do this in a movie? <laughs> like, I remember yeah. being, I had no idea how this movie was yeah. going to end because I thought right. it was going to yeah. be very accurate to real history. So I just assumed that they were going to fail their mission. And no, they don't. They kill Hitler. They yeah. kill all of them in this theater. It is. I think they killed Hitler 55 <laughs> times <laughs> in this film. <laughs> absolutely love though when eli roth punches the one guy with the the knife hand and then you get to see our boy dominic de coco with the slow motion run in and it's very omar yeah omar but uh what does he do does he does he shoot him with a with he's just like a punch with a Mm -hmm. gun or something isn't he cool as fuck that is cool dominic de coco dominic de coco (laughs) yeah um yeah, why not? Like, it, it, I like that. It, it was jarring the first time. I think we all saw this movie. We were like, yeah, let's kill Hitler in this movie. Who cares? Like, fucking, why does he get to walk out? This is my movie. Let's kill him. 55 times. Oh, man. But rewind a step. Rewind mm. a step. Because we've we've missed Lander making his bargain before that point, didn't we? Yeah, because that happens yes, all before. Yes, he could stop it. That's right. I kind of wanted to yes, say right, that to last it. because I actually think that is okay. my, yeah. my favorite. I think that is the best... Of Christopher, <laughs> just being mm. like, oh, that's a bingo. 
That's the bingo. He does say bingo. He's like, oh, bingo. Anyways, I digress. And he goes like, it's so fun. I just left you like, it would appear that the shoe is on the other foot. Is that the expression? And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. So I just love that you're like, Wanda's going to win this movie. Oh, my God. I can't believe mm. like this guy yeah. is going to win this yeah. movie. And he, the deal he cuts, but I just love him on the phone being like, and I want this and I've been in on this the whole time and I've been a secret mm-hmm. agent the whole time and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, Nantucket yeah, Island. Yeah. And I want a property on Nantucket so, Island. <laughs> <laughs> so, like we've said, Lander has pieced it all yes. together. And as Freedom has decided, he's going to allow it to happen. Mm. He's going to let Hitler, Goebbels, Goering all blow up, Bormann mm-hmm. all blow up in this cinema, thus ending the war for the allies to win. I just love that it also mirrors the beginning because the conversation starts and he's all goofy and he's weird and he's charming and charismatic. And then it gets very serious and he's like, but you won't get Hitler and you won't get Goebbels and and you need all four to end the war. And he names like the top four people and how serious he gets about it. And then it's like, oh, he is making this happen right now. I don't know why BJ Novak is just there sitting there and it just seems so off. Like he won a, he won a contest. He got to be in a movie with these. <laughs> I think it would just been so much more powerful. It was just Brad Pitt talking to Landa at the end. I, I don't know why. I, I like, I like, uh, Udovich. I think that is, wait, that's right. Udovich, that's BJ Novak's name. Yeah, Udovich. Udovich I like yeah. him, especially when Brad Pitt gets taken. And he's in the back of the van. They both have bags over their head. He goes, Udovich. He doesn't even say anything. He just goes, Udovich, is that you? He's like, yes, yes, sir. And like, I think he plays that role perfectly. He doesn't have to do much. He just has to be a little bit funny. And I, th- I think it, I think it goes, I think yeah. it goes well. It's a bounce, mm-hmm. isn't it? And I think it's there for the final uh-huh. scene as well. I'd have took that deal. Would you have took mm-hmm. that deal, Udovich? I'd have mm-hmm. took that deal, sir. So there's that little mm-hmm. bounce back between and, them that keeps that kind of lyrical flow yeah. going that they've had through the movie. And also, jumping a little bit ahead to the very end, we get the most Tarantino line of any movie ever, <laughs> where the movie ends where, Udovich, you know what? I think this might be my masterpiece, of course. you know. Just So I think you do need to have him there, like Dirk was saying, to bounce off conversation and have to be like, yep, mm-hmm, yep, and just be like his like little right-hand man, li- the little right-hand man. <laughs> and, and, but I want to just mention really quick, because it is fun. fun um, like I said, you know, really, there aren't any regulars for Tarantino other than Samuel Jackson, but you do get Harvey Keitel on the radio at the end. Um, and did you guys catch that? That that's who's oh, made, no, who made the deal with Landa, oh, and then cool. when Aldo oh, talks cool. to him, it's Harvey Keitel on the radio. Oh, I did not mm-hmm. catch that. Mm-hmm. And that's one of his regulars. Marcy's so smug oh, right there. <laughs> smug. But Julie Dreyfus is in it. She's in, she's a in the Kill Bill movies. movies yeah. yeah, I got a point there Wait, as well. Marcy good got a job. point. Gold star. For you. Thanks. <laughs> that wasn't patronizing <laughs> at all. <laughs> all right, so... I didn't take it that way. I took it as a real Are we going to talk about the payoff, too, at the end, where you finally get to see how Aldo does the mm. thing that he does? Like, because that was gnarly. Can I just say that is gnarly? That was unnecessary. It's, yeah. But yeah. you... No, you do need to see it, because the whole movie, yeah. you're like, we know he does it, but we've never seen it, and then is, you get to see it. Is the Dirk Diggler scene right here at the end? <laughs> we need to see it. Well, also, also because... Lander needs his yeah. penalty. Yeah. Right? yeah, he's getting away exactly. with it scot free, and we we need we need to see in a way we we need to see his punishment. Mm-hmm. That, that's and what I that just, is, I think, and and it's yeah. saved, so it has a maximum impact, mm-hmm. isn't it? Exactly, mm-hmm. and I just love the 
you're going to get in so much trouble for this. He's like, ah, no, I'm just going to get chewed out. I've been chewed out before. <laughs> like, he is not worried yeah, about it. You'll be shot. <laughs> nah. You asked me earlier, like, why I picked this. And I think I just wanted to have, I know this is a dark movie, but overall, it's a fun, entertaining time. And I think that's just what I wanted to do with both of you. And I think we succeeded. So there you go. Beautiful. For sure. I wanted to mention also, too, um, there's a cool, like, you can look up, I think I like on the bloopers or something after every take. And there's some horrible scenes in this, but all the character, all the actors, they sit up and they say, hi, Sally. Hi, Sally. And that's something that Tarantino did with his editor, longtime editor, Sally Menke. And he would have all the actors say hi to her. And this was her last collaboration with Tarantino. She died per year. She was only like 50 in her fifties and she died. I think it was like mountain hiking too, ironically. Oh, geez. But um she was an excellent editor i think the editing of this movie is spectacular oh yeah, as well. yeah. it really is isn't it and it's so good i'm just gonna say this out yeah. loud i'm not a tarantino boy okay <laughs> yeah but one thing i do think about his movies is they are very well edited mm-hmm. editing yeah. is normally magnifique <laughs> mm-hmm. you know i, I will say this like, thank you mikey i tarantino is very hit or miss for me i think his like i think this time i think between kill bill this and Django is a really fun time. And I think I was the right age for all of those movies. Uh, not so much a big fan of him as a person, but I, I have to give him all the credit in the world for these stories that he comes up with. And also just the casting choices and picking the right people, taking the right time to make the movie. He says he's only going to make one more movie. Let's see. But I I think honest. this is his best movie. This is my favorite Tarantino. It'll never change. This will be my favorite forever of his. I was on Doompod to do Kill Bill 1 and 2, and we just gushed over it for like hours and hours and hours. And there was a part about Inglorious Bastards, how it was just like a remaking of the same revenge trope. And I, I said, I was like, honestly, I think this was like the better movie even still. And I love Kill Bill 1. Mm-hmm. Um but this was this was the movie. I wasn't a Tarantino. I watched all his movies leading up to this, but I wasn't really like on like call myself a Tarantino boy, like you said. But those two, this movie after Kill Bill one and two, I was just like, forget it. This guy's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Well, anybody got anything else they want to add or say? Okay. Au revoir, Shoshana. Well, I'm sorry. Au revoir, Au revoir Shoshana. I love you, Shoshana. <laughs> this is the part of the show now where we really live up to our mixtape name. The spirit of this podcast is sharing movies. We love to create an ultimate movie mixtape, but we're also going to share some songs to create a mixtape for us all to listen and share in. And we pick a song that we think relates to this film. And that's what we're going to do now. If you are so interested, you can find all of our song song picks in the show notes and we'll link to our Spotify playlist. Marcy has to go last because this is her film. Mikey, do you want to go first? Sure. Just because I've been thinking about it for a very long time, and I sat on this, I uh, thought so on this <laughs> on this task, and I wanted to embody an ensemble group of men that each had their own personalities, but yet they are cohesive as one in their common goal. And I thought of the Wu Tang Clan <laughs> <laughs> and the song "Bring the Ruckus" is like a good uh, mm-hmm. brag, a, a good. Uh, <laughs> A good ensemble. Mm. What's so funny, Marcy? Wu Tang, <laughs> the glorious bastards of I rap. Wasn't How about that? It and I think it's perfect. That's why I'm happy. If you play Bring the Rockets in this movie, it works. <laughs> no.
They each have their own personality. They each bring in talking about how great they are and how you're going to bring the ruckus. And that's mm, love it. Me too, Mikey. I love do. it. I really do. That was Thank a happy. You, like Mikey. I was just genuinely very happy, and I'm being earnest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, well, for my choice, I was feeling the French vibe, you know? Just feeling that French vibe. Oh, I wish, I could, one see, reason I wish or... I could see your dance right there. Yeah, for one reason or another. And it got me thinking, got me thinking to songs I like. And one particular band called Stereo Lab. Have you heard of Stereo mm-hmm. Lab? Yep. So they're a little bit French, a little bit French. I think the lead singer is from France. They're basically an English band, but they have a song called French Disco. And listen to the lyrics of French Disco. I've been told it's a fact of life. Men have to kill one another. Mm. Well, I say there are still things worth fighting for. La Resistance. Though this world's essentially an absurd place to be living in, it doesn't call for bubble withdrawal. It's said human existence is pointless as acts of rebellious solidarity can bring sense to in this world. La resistance. Jesus. That's Shoshana right there, baby. <laughs> mm. Well done. Stereo Lab. Stereo Lab. Red Disco. <laughs> Love it. I oh, can't wait. I don't know that song, so I'm <laughs> excited to check it out. Oh, it's good. I really okay. love it. I, I do love it. It's right. really great. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this, my choice is personal. 2009 was a fun summer. My choice was personal. <laughs> oh, no, I I don't know. Like, that's why I'm, I'm, no, I didn't mean to, like, offend. I just meant, like, but <laughs> 2009 so was right now. Mikey, a summer, a, a really memorable summer for me. And a lot of things happened that I just won't forget. One of them was going to see this movie in the theater. And another thing that happened that summer was the Arctic Monkeys had their third album come out called Humbug. And I love Here this we go. album so much. It's very much there's still their sense of humor, but it's very it's very dark compared to their previous two albums. But here's the the thing. I remember like listening to that album and seeing this movie and just b- them both being big parts of my summer, I did not realize this until I looked this up. But I, I picked a song from this album called Pretty Visitors. But the album Humbug came out August 20th, 2009. And Glorious Bastards came out August 21st, 2009. They're only a day Whoa. apart for each other. <laughs> so they were two big things for me that year. But Pretty Visitors is my song. It's very dark. It's very fun. Um, another reason I picked it was... Some of my favorite lines ever in a movie happen in Inglourious Bastards. One of my favorite lines ever in a song is in Pretty Visitors. <laughs> and it goes, 
what came first, the chicken or the dickhead? And you can't beat that line at all. So that is my <laughs> pick, my boys, my Arctic monkeys. I'm very excited to have them back on the show. So who is the chicken and who is the dickhead in this film? <laughs> is Archie... Hans Lander is the dickhead. <laughs> I was going to say, is Archie the dickhead and the chicken is... I don't know, but maybe not, maybe. No, you've got it. You're, a- you're absolutely <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. Now is the point in the show where you can write to us if you've perhaps ever held a Nazi movie premiere and you want to regale us <laughs> with that story. You can contact us at themoviemixtapepod at gmail.com say that once again the movie mixtape pod at gmail.com we also do stories on our instagram um you can find all of mikey's amazing show art on instagram which the address for that is the underscore movie mixtape do connect with us over on the ig or email us here the movie mixtape pod at gmail.com but that's it undercover mix done dusted wrapped up put in a body bag thrown into the river with concrete shoes (laughs) all that's left now is for us to reveal the next mixtape and it's my choice i'm doing the next mixtape isn't that right because now you're the boss (laughs) oh god the enthusiasm (laughs) the enthusiasm i'm excited on the inside (laughs) (laughs) well i've i've chosen a mixtape purely so that i can get you guys to watch you the gang sorry marcy to watch the next to watch this film particularly that i really wanted to share with you and i'm going to translate the mix the name of the mix into american so you don't get oh a bit premature mikey no it was late i was gonna it was like buffering for a long time sorry 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 go ahead having fun here the name of the next mix is Sports. Oh! (laughs) And the movie that I want to share with you is from 2009 and is called Looking for Eric. And is directed by uh, Ken Loach, who's a British director. I'll give you a little synopsis. This is what Lairbox says about it. A man trying to put his life back on track gets some advice from an unexpected benefactor, the ex-footballer, Eric Cantona. So that's what we'll watch next time. Wow! On the movie mixtape, looking for Eric. I think this. Okay. I think this has been on the dock since the beginning, so I'm really excited. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Lots of personal reasons for looking for Eric. I mean, that's the only reason I've picked this mix, <laughs> um, because who knows what we're going to get from you two for this being American? Probably some <laughs> dodgeball <laughs> thing. I don't know. Flipping neck. But yeah, I'm really excited to share Looking for Eric with you two. So we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Au revoir. Au revoir. Podcasters. (laughs) (laughs) Suck on that, you suck ales. (laughs) Nice. Arrivederci.
Movie Mixtape is a podcast hosted by Dirk, Mikey P, and me, Marcy. Episodes edited by Dirk and Marcy. Show art by Mikey P. Our logo comes from Iron Tooth Design. Follow us on Instagram at the underscore movie mixtape or email us at the movie mixtape pod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. I don't yeah, think you're a true you believer. Do I don't know. It's a bunch of people. Go, I don't know what I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what that is. Why is that hand gesture you just did? That was whisking. That was whisking. Whisking. Oh, okay. <laughs> My God. Uh, Marcy's disgusted uh, with your whisking. <laughs>